This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 18, First Round Strategies, The Universities of Jolnar. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. You know what? No jokes. No jokes? Let's do it straight. Straight into the business. Let's do it straight like the, the business news. end of the SCPT. You, the way you're talking, do, 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 no, no bits. I, even the way you're talking makes me feel like you're doing a bit or you're about to do a bit. And I, do, I really want to stress that this is a really serious show, okay? This game is very serious to me. It's very important to me, okay? Uh, is that okay yes, no, with you? Fine. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. And we've spent fine. a lot of time working on this. Yeah. And I'm tired, I'm tired of sitting here, and every single time we gotta start this, we gotta do some jokes. It's not a funny game, okay? That's what I would like to say. It's a game about strategy and thinking. It's a, lot, it's a real thinker game, okay? Yeah, I, I mean, I... What is the show called? Hi, welcome to Space Cats Peace Turtles. My name is Matt Martin. I think we should change the name of the show. Well, Hunter, you're just... Coming off so this is a new this, this is a new show. The show you're listening to today is called Lectures by Twilight, and it's a very serious show where we're going to be doing some theory crafting on various topics, um, including life mm-hmm. and Twilight Imperium. This is a very academic show. Um, and two minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and start right. talking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, Jolnar. Yeah, yeah. University of right. Jolnar. That's uh, we're talking about the fish heads this week, and it's kind of a it's kind of a weird episode to do because the Jolnar are this really weird, like very vanilla feeling race beyond the fact of like your strategy is wide open. Last week we talked about the Necro, and it was kind of like, what do you say about the Necro? It's like a lot of situational factors, and Jolnar is almost the opposite and it feels like the same problem the world's your oyster and what what do you want to do i mean just like when you sit down at the table as a jolnar player you just get to do any strategy you want pretty much you can choose there's so many things to choose from yeah um should we talk theme at all uh what's the let's pull up that sheet all right can we hear the sheet yeah a little? yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is clearly matt's favorite part yeah. of the show i don't mind doing this um they are governed they're, they're aloof their disposition <laughs> is aloof which aloof? is really fun because one of my notes that we do we have a little thing where i, I ask what where are we looking for a victory and my answer to that was casually indifferent Ooh. you're aloof you don't really mind Who cares? whether or not yeah i'll i'll, I'll, I'll get win. there i'll win somehow. i'll win on my own terms uh they are governed by a headmaster um, and they're, they have, uh, janitors, but, all right, theme over. <laughs> the oh, Jolnar yeah. are, uh, these fishy tech boys, and here's what they do. They have fragile. Apply minus one to the result of each of your unit's combat rolls. That's it. That's, that's awesome. their ability. That's good. What an amazing ability. Really they're, good. They're Let's move on. bad at combat. Uh-huh, just kidding. That's not it. Um, um so yeah, the opposite of the Sardak Nor. Their second and more important ability is brilliant. When you spend a command token to resolve the secondary ability of the technology strategy card, you may resolve the primary instead. This means 
Someone else plays the tech card, you spend a strategy allocation point, and you get to get one tech for free, and then if you want to buy a second tech for six resources. The thing of spending four resources on tech just doesn't even exist for you. Yeah, Put it out of your mind. You'll never do it. And the last ability is analytical. When you research a technology that is not a unit upgrade technology, you may ignore one prerequisite. So you get to jump up the ladder fairly quickly as long as it's a standard technology, not a unit upgrade. Mm -hmm. So again, a focus on like not really warfare, but a focus on research and building yourself up. So you don't tend to upgrade a lot of your units. Instead, you upgrade all of the abilities that surround your units, and then in the late game, suddenly all you start putting out all of your unit upgrades, and you have this really domineering force that is scary to deal with, because practically every unit in your fleet is upgraded. How many commodities do they have? They've got four, which is really great. Oh, uh, basically yeah. the best, they're a really great trade partner. Why not trade with the Jolnar? They're not a big threat to anybody because of the early game combat disadvantages. Mm -hmm. They have a really great promissory note, which reads as, Research agreement. After the Jolnar player researches a technology that is not a faction technology, gain that technology, then return this card to the Jolnar player. So you can give out this promissory note that just lets anyone get the same tech as you, which to me is my favorite favorite promissory note in the game because it really has no downside for you mm -hmm. it gives them a benefit it's the perfect thing to just trade to someone because they're going to want to use it because you're going to be getting late game tech quickly so they're going to want to take advantage of that pretty often is it your favorite it's one? my favorite it's your favorite it's my note. favorite promise you don't like note. it better than Ragka's call <laughs> i don't turns out and i don't even like it more than stymie oh my second favorite i mean it would be my favorite if i wasn't the arborek and they gave it to <laughs> and, me yeah i mean that's true and <laughs> <laughs> that way it's my favorite all right they uh, also have two racial technology yeah. um and their racial technologies are really interesting considering who they are as a race um i mean when when your ability is just you get tech really well what kind of racial ability like what do, what do you add to just like you get tech good well you get spatial conduit cylinder which is a two blue tech you may exhaust this card after you activate a system that contains one or more of your units that system is adjacent to all other systems that contain one or more of your units during this activation this is primarily a defensive maneuver mm. if you overexpand a little bit and someone starts coming for your home system you get to zoom everything back no big deal if anything it gives jolnar a ton of options for how they want to move around the board um i think it's an incredibly useful racial tech and probably i mean it's jolnar you're gonna get like every tech in the game right so to say like "Ooh, this is a must get tech is kind of like well sh yeah sure sure <laughs> i think it's must must get if you're looking to go for mechatol rex yeah we'll talk more about this in the kind of early to mid game talks or or first round things but um if you are planning to you know, Mad Bomb, Rush, Mechatol Rex. Mad Bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Spatial Conduit Cylinder is, like, your number one priority. Get that first, because you're, yeah. you're going to be able to do a lot with it. But outside of that, getting it kind of any time is fine. Uh, your second tech is E-Res Siphons. It's two yellows. I like and this one a lot more. I like this one more. You're going to get it more often, I think. Uh, and it's after another player activates a system that contains one or more of your ships, gain four trade goods. So really what they did with both of the racial techs is... They said, 
you don't have a lot of good defense because your units are going to be bad. Right. So here's everything you could possibly want to be able to defend yourself. They start with two PDS, which also helps that cause quite a lot. Um, speaking of starting units, you have the best ones in the game. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Maybe except for, like, Clan Asar. Yeah. But you have one Dreadnought, two Carriers, one Fighter, two Infantry, and then two PDS. So as far as our checklist goes, we really only need two more infantry. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we have two carriers and a dreadnought means realistically you kind of want three more infantry to get the most bang for your buck. For sure. Um, which is something you're going to be able to do, and we're going to go over that here in just a minute. It's interesting but, that they start with one fighter. Yeah. It's, Isn't that it feels odd? like they just had to even it out. Yeah. Which is funny, too, because like, as far as starts go, like they have the second highest resource value start in the game and the the highest is just the embers of muat right the only reason it's that high is because it's a war sun sun. yeah like the the jolnar have the de facto best start in the game and two pds right like (laughs) why even give them the fighter they just don't need it they straight up do not need it but whatever the bummer though is that all those things are belong to the jolnar so Mm -hmm. it's the you know, a worse version. Yeah. But, um, so the home system is two. It's a two-planet system, which I like a lot. That doesn't mean as much for Matt personally. But yeah, I, I, I think like it's. I, I do still think it's good, but I can make an argument for myself as to why some of the, mainly just because the one-planet home systems have much higher resource values, and I kind of like kicking off with a really good production value. Obviously, two or more planet home systems, you can make add up to a much higher production value so Mm -hmm. late game they are way way better right but i kind of like having the jump start and then focusing on having a home slice that is well space docked out to do the rest of the production um but they have a one two and a two three so it's a three five total which is a i mean numbers wise amazing amount of influence it, it, you know, one of those planets has three influence, which means that you have you start with a potential a pretty, command counter. Yeah, you, you have a, and and honestly, I think the potential is something you should take advantage of. Yeah, we'll, we'll get sure. into that. For um, sure. But uh, even though it's your two, three, being able to get another command counter with the other things you need to do round one uh, is very, very good. So yeah, really good home system, really good start. You know, mm-hmm. ev- just like everything you have. On their starting tech. What's that? <laughs> yeah. What's their starting Let's tech? Let's talk about Jolnar's starting, <laughs> starting tech. starting tech do they, they have? Start do they with, have any? They have a couple. I, don't, I can't remember if they start with any tech. So most races start with one tech. Mm-hmm. Basically the top, the first two techs, each race has one of those. And then there's a couple races that have a mixture of two. The Jolnar have one of every single basic tech, which is Neural Motivator, Anti-Mass Deflector, Sarween Tools, and Plasma Scoring. Oh, They've got buddy. a green, blue yellow red more importantly i want to just real quickly read off the list of techs that you could buy as your very first tech and this is only assuming you're buying one tech round one if you're going to buy a second tech that's this is a whole other Mm -hmm. you can buy almost every single tech in the game but let's just read off the list of tech you can buy round one for free ready Dax of Animators, Graviton Laser Systems, Gravity Drive, Mage and Defense Grid, PDS-2, Fighter-2, Cruiser-2, Hypermetabolism, Transit Diodes, Fleet Logistics, Geranium Armor, Spatial Conduit Cylinders, E-Res Siphons. So that was 11 tech that's just available to you. Right, right away. So right you away. need to start the game and now pick from these 11 options. Yes. And if you're getting 2 tech, like I said, literally almost everything is available to you. I think the only tech that you cannot get mm-hmm. is War Suns, round 1. 
But guess what? You can get Warzone's round two. Right. So who cares? Right. So they're tech. They're really good at tech. They're incredibly good at tech. Let's talk about what kind of home slice they want. Considering they're going to get any tech in the game, they have a bad defensive start. Yeah. Well, what do you, you don't need tech specialties. That's for sure. Not um, at all. You can skip... You could, on your own. It's anyway, it's so. kind of awful to get tech specialties, honestly, because half of the tech specialty planets are bad. Yeah. It's almost always like a one one or a one two single planet system. So those those are terrible to have in your pie slice. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you want decent planets, and more than anything, you probably want either a natural border with a mean neighbor. Or you just don't want a mean neighbor at all. But obviously you don't have a lot of control over who your exact neighbors are. But like, if you can have some empty space in an asteroid field between you and one of your neighbors, mm-hmm. it helps a lot. Because people are not as tempted to jump over big gaps to get to you. But if there's a land bridge, they will slowly encroach on your stuff. Now, a lot of people talk about kneecapping mm-hmm. Jolnar early. And so you need to be thinking about that and worrying about it. Yeah, uh, uh, having a home or having a supernova like right next to your home system is actually pretty helpful sometimes because then you can really pincer people's ability to come at you. Right. I love having a supernova next to me because then it's like supernova on one side, all my PDS on the yeah, other exactly. side. There exactly. is just like no way you're getting in. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, try to have a have a, a gap between you and at least one neighbor. Obviously, you don't want a gap between you and both neighbors because that means you're probably lacking pretty significantly on the planet side. And you're going to need you're going to need resources because mid to late game you really need to flip the switch on how much units you're producing. You spend a while building tech and then all of a sudden you come out like a hammer and just start quashing people. Mm-hmm. So, we've built the map our first strategy card that we want to take, there's there's a few things to consider, but my number one thing is don't take tech. I don't I don't see the value in taking tech mm-hmm. pretty much through the entire course of the game. The only caveat to that is you do want tech to get played. <laughs> yeah, tech so doesn't get taken at all. If you play with a group where you feel like they might try to screw you out of tech which is definitely a possibility if if you go first and you don't take tech the rest of the board could be like you know what who needs tech does anybody need tech no let's all definitely gonna say that yeah exactly i'll say that so depending on when you go you might be in a situation where you're forced to take tech because you definitely want tech to get played Mm -hmm. but ideally you won't pick tech so what do you want yeah what are you gonna pick then i have kind of two pathways i think about this the default is leadership or warfare. Mm-hmm. And this is something on our Board Game Geek Guild, um, Robofish kind of did like some precursor notes about Jolnar. So we're, we're kind of touching on a couple points he brought up, and they meshed really well with the stuff we had thought of. So he it talked. It's good stuff. It's it good, good stuff. stuff. And, and he, he talked a lot about leadership being a really great pick because honestly, everything else is going to pull you in a lot of different directions. And it's just really nice to get leadership out of the way. And the idea that, like, you're going to be not taking tech as often as possible and instead using the secondary of tech a lot means you're going to always need, like, at least one counter in your strategy area, kind of in your reserves. So to start kind of with a little bit of a stock of command counters is incredibly helpful to making your next, like, two rounds a lot easier. Because the only thing that's going to hurt you even more than having bad defensive capabilities is running out of command counters early and not being able to kind of 
rebuild up or stay consistent with buying tech. Also, a lot of people recommend buying hypermetabolism, but there are situ- there are probably going to be situations where you don't want to buy that round one, in yeah. which case taking leadership would be pretty cool. Yes. If you took leadership round one, you might not need hypermetabolism to like the mid game. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so leadership is a great pick. One of the things you can do with leadership too is, and we will go a little bit more into detail on this, but I think tapping NAR is a pretty great option. Even though you're burning two resources, it's mm-hmm. a two, three planet, burning those two resources is great to get that early um, command counter because the rest of what you're doing round one, because you have such an amazing start, you don't necessarily need to invest in units and instead spending that money on command counters I think pays off a lot in the long run. But the other option is take Warfare. I go back and forth on what I want to do with Warfare. There's there's the option of moving out, lifting that command counter, and like being able to take more systems than you mm-hmm. normally would. But with Jolnar, that doesn't really work because if you take Warfare, it means you're not going to get a free production because you can't do the secondary of Warfare. And you desperately need more infantry. Really the best option with Warfare, if you pick it, is build in your home system immediately, build your extra ground forces. You start with Sarween tools. You can tap Joel for an extra resource. Those Mm -hmm. two resources can buy you four Mm -hmm. infantry. That's, like we said at the beginning of the show, that's the at least three you need to be able to stock up and get all the planets you could possibly get. So assuming you have two two systems and one one planet system adjacent to you, that gives you enough ground forces to take everything, and you have a nice four system home slice to work with. That's kind of your ideal setup. Yeah, that's But again, what I think is better is taking leadership. That gives you the tokens you need to stall out if it comes up. To, mm-hmm. But more likely, you're going to be able to wait for those last uh, infantry to get built, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a lot of options if you take leadership. But warfare's certainly up there. The other option, and this is kind of a completely separate tree to me, is you can take trade for three extra trade goods, forego everything we just said about tapping NAR for command counters. And if you really wanted to, if you took trade and gain your three extra trade goods, you can spend all of your money on two tech round one. Now there's not very many things that I think you need to rush for round one to spend all of your money on tech. That's literally everything you will have, which means your expansion is gonna be very bad. Mm -hmm. You only want to do this if you know you're going to be able to trade with somebody to get some extra money to be able to build your other infantry, or you have such a bad home sis- or home slice that you aren't going to be able to expand to enough stuff anyways. Do you have to um, you have to spend some money in order to use Sarween, right? Or can you just activate? No, you can just activate and, and do it. So, so you, you, can you could still... build you could build two ground forces. Yeah, you could build two ground forces, and you could have that two C four I. Yes, that would be enough to mm-hmm. get you by. And with taking trade and buying two tech. I really only think this is beneficial for one option, and that is if you want to rush War Sons. Yeah. Round one, you take... There's there's two lines of thought here. The first and kind of just obvious one is you take Duranium Armor, and then you get Assault Cannon. Mm-hmm. Round one. Those are your two techs that you buy, skipping a red. That means you now have three red and one yellow to where round two, either you take tech or you hopefully yeah. get somebody else to yeah, take tech. Yeah. You get War Sons right away, round two. That'd be crazy. Another option, which still gets you War, war Sons round two, but maybe makes up for some of the things you're going to be costing yourself, is round one, you get Hyper Metabolism and Duranium Armor, both level three green and reds. Mm-hmm. Then round two, you get Assault Cannon and War Sun. 
So that means you're two rounds in a row spending almost all of your money. I like that better. On... That seems to be a little more responsible. You, you don't need assault cannon round one. You won't get any use out of right. it. Right. You won't get any use out of it. You probably won't get any use out of it till. Well, but a the, lot the, 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 so the trade off is do you want to start getting that extra command counter every round, mm-hmm. or do you want to force yourself into buying two tech round two? Because the alternative is if you. Do the two reds and then just War Suns round two. That's basically six extra resources you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, having War Sun tech doesn't mean anything unless you can build a War Sun. Right. So you need to start continuing that e- expansion and making sure you can get up to 12 resources. So honestly, I don't have a strong opinion which is better. I like getting hypermetabolism early. It's worth noting if you're going to get hypermetabolism, you should get it early, unless, like we said, like if you can get leadership round one, you can kind of stave off needing hypermetabolism. But again, just like the effect, just like Sarween tools, the earlier you get it, mm-hmm. the more impact it's going to have on your game. So it, I kind of have this trade-off in my head of, is it better to require yourself to buy two tech round two, or is it nice to just go ahead? Well, you might have to if there's a tech objective out there. Right. Like, there's, a lo- there's a lot of factors to consider there, but that is the reason you might want to take trade. Mm-hmm. So from that, the ladder gets kind of worse. Politics, construction are pretty much even to me. Obviously, you don't want Imperial. Yeah. Diplomacy is a give or take. I would probably rank diplomacy above construction and uh politics essentially diplomacy and trade can sort of right. be the same play Maybe. a lot of times around one but diplomacy is so much more finicky yeah d- diplomacy is a little more finicky and and because you only need three resources trade is the good option because you're definitely going to get those three mm-hmm. unless Mentech shows up at the table then maybe you need to do diplomacy right Who knows? let's move on we talked yeah. about strategy yeah, yeah, cards yeah, for yeah. a long time what secondaries do you want to do you have to do tech of course you need to do warfare yeah that's about it mm-hmm. uh you probably want to do leadership again if you're going for this strategy if you didn't get leadership and you're doing warfare i would still probably spend nar on a command counter mm-hmm. because i honestly think maybe the worst thing that can happen to a jolnar player is to run out of command counters because then you become a big target for people because you run out of responses Right. If people can start gutting you and you don't have enough command counters to get a tech every round, every round you don't buy tech, you're losing your advantage. That's really bad. Yeah. yeah. And so you always need at least one in your strategy allocation, and you need to do a little bit of movement around the board. So you should always be teching. You should always be warfaring. You need to kind of keep up with your command counters. Beyond that, I probably wouldn't do construction. In most cases, I wouldn't do diplomacy. You're not trying to do any big buy a new carrier rushes, so you don't need any quick resources. You really just need to build two to four ground forces. Okay, so what are you doing? What are your opening moves? How are you building your pie slice? Depending on what you took, I mean, you're, like I said, your dream is two systems that each have two planets and one more system that has one Mm -hmm. you're just going to expand with each of those if you have warfare once all of your ground forces have left the building build more in your home system and next turn tap it and keep moving out do a typical expansion if you don't have warfare play leadership as soon as possible so that you can stall for as long as it takes before warfare gets played Mm -hmm. hopefully not very long Mm -hmm. typically not too long but some groups like to really really stall warfare and taking leadership pretty early will help a lot yeah honestly jolnar seems like a really good race to try and stall out though i will point that out yeah it's like a for, random for little sure thing against it like like and this is this is still well within the ideas of a strategy guide because what i'm trying to say is uh to me playing against jolnar i would think like if i stall them out that that's that hurts gonna hurt. him, that hurts pretty mm-hmm. hard 
So I'm going to want to, so you're going to need to look out for that. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think I'm really feeling the leadership yeah. play. Like, because you, you definitely have a target on your back if people know the races of Twilight Imperium. Because everybody who knows the game knows that Jolnar is a huge problem. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're right now they are definitely the de facto number one statistically most likely to win. Yeah. And so they're this big threat. I mean, like a huge amount of objectives are cakewalks for them to get. Every single tech objective is something they pretty much score automatically without even thinking about it. Almost every time a t- tech objective has hit the board as Jolnar, I already have it done. And right, I wasn't, e- I wasn't even trying. Board, like I right. wasn't making an attempt to get two of every color. Mm-hmm. I just got the techs I wanted and oh look, I have two of every color. Right, I'm good right. to go. I mean, the fact, objective, the fact I mean. that you start with one of every color means you only need four tech mm-hmm. to do the stage two tech right, objective. Right. And so... You're, yeah, it's so easy to do pretty much anything. Yeah, tech objectives in general, I mean, when they come up, like a, a game with Jolnar in it that, like, all the tech objectives hit the hit the board. They're going to win. Yeah, they're going to win. It's over. It's, 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 that's that. not a fun game to play. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. Actually. If anything, if Jolnar gets two public tech objectives and then they also score a secret tech objective, it should now immediately become everyone's goal to just, like, wipe them out because mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty big problem if they got, like, three free points. That's equivalent to, like... Just somebody having four hazardous planets and four industrial planets in their home system. Great. Or in their home slice. Like, to have just all of these free points with almost no thought put in is a, is pretty insane. Would you make any argument for buying E-Res Siphons round one? Sort of. Only if you have... Honestly, only if you have two aggressive neighbors. And you weren't really able to get, like, a, a decent wall. Because... You're almost always going to have one neighbor that probably wants to try to take a little bit of advantage of you. Right. But they're not going to, like, completely gut you because the board's not going to let them mm-hmm. have two home slices, right? Right. So getting E-Res siphons early, yes, it's going to make them not want to do it. I think if you buy E-Res siphons early, you're not going to get any money out of it. All it is is yeah. a deterrent, you're right. which means it's kind of a wasted tech in that way. Right. Unless you know... Your neighbors are going to barrel down you. If you have Abyss Freya and Baraglur to four in your home system mm-hmm. or in your home slice, yeah, you should probably get E-Res Siphons. Right. Or if you are going to go for Mechatol Rex, getting Spatial Conduit Solar and E-Res Siphons is pretty good because if you're going to decide to like hole up on oh, Mechatol yeah, Rex, they, they both work pretty well together because yeah. the, the idea of both of the techs is I can push everything onto one spot and if you try to target me, all is all it's going to do is fund my war effort more. Mm-hmm. And so if you're on Mechatol and just deciding I'm going to go for Imperial points as often as I possibly can, mm-hmm. you could probably hold it up pretty well because anybody who tries to attack it, it's going to get you a lot money. of money yeah. and you're yeah. going to either be able to return the favor and come back into Mechatol or do whatever else you want. Right. Um, I think if you're going to go for Mechatol, you are best served taking it early because I don't know late game if you have a lot of potential to hold it because once everybody else's big fleets start to come online you're not so good at holding and keeping one i mean i I say this but like you can make yourself anything you want in the late game right Mm -hmm. but compared to something like barony who have really specific strengths in combat you have what is available in all of the different techs so your best benefit to you is, well, I'm going to get a lot of money from anybody who targets me, which means I just need to be in the way mm-hmm. of people. So it's kind of similar to Necro in that way. And you need to have built up enough unit upgrades where you can also take a punch. Because if you're in everybody's way, 
correctly, you're you are definitely going to be getting attacked. It's a it's a really weird like yin yang with Jolnar, right? Because if once you start to get a pretty decent number of techs, you kind of need to turn your game around and really start producing units. I don't think you ever stop building tech, but you definitely stop buying two tech every single mm-hmm. round. You know, mm-hmm. a- after about round three or four, you're probably only getting one tech per round, and it's an upgrade around an upgrade of the new unit you've decided to start shoveling out. What about here's one one more tech I want to ask you about. Um, what do you think of transit diodes round one? Could it help you expand? I don't think there's an argument for it, right? Like obviously that's something that people will bring up. If you didn't just ask that, somebody in the errata mm-hmm. would have talked about that. Or more importantly, integrated economy is kind of a similar argument. Can you, you can't get there round one though. Can you, you could because you could buy transit diodes and oh, integrated God. economy. But I the problem with I inter- can't wrap my head around. I know it's every you can get anything. But the problem with integrated economy is you've got to have the money available to build on the planets. So I don't like getting integrated economy super early. Maybe around two, like end of round two, getting integrated economy is okay. But you expand so slow as Jolnar, I just don't know that it's especially beneficial. But it does help you quickly defend mm-hmm. all of your outposts. Transit diodes, though, it's it's useful, but I, I just don't think it's necessary. I don't think that's how Jolnar plays their game of, like, mm-hmm. bouncing around their ground forces. You you play more with abilities than anything else. You don't play with raw firepower. Yeah. You play by, you know, getting a bunch of deep space cannons out with Graviton Laser System and playing a little bit of the X-Cha game, and then you also have your Duranium Armor and Assault Cannon to where your fleets are... Like, you get so many abilities that you're not worrying about stockpiling any single kind of unit you're kind of just like doing everything and being unpredictable integrated economy is good for clan of sar mm-hmm. which is something we never talked about in clan of sar but integrated economy is fairly useful mm-hmm. for clan of sar and integrated economy is good for any race that knows they're going to be able to start stealing from other people like it's great for clan of sar ah, i can't believe we didn't bring that up Probably we probably got yelled at about it. <laughs> People probably said, "Why not integrated economy?" And we said, uh, "You don't know what you're talking about. It's a bad tech, but it's not. It's good for Clanisar because you gain control of the planet, mm-hmm. you get your trade good, and then you can immediately Spend build. It. Yeah, wow, that's really with the obvious. trade good and also yeah. the cost. This is not an episode about Clanisar. Yeah, don't get at me. Yeah. We're talking about Jolnar, and we're still." In, let's talk about trading. Let's, let's, let's talk get about in the trading. Middle, in the middle bits. Let's get really into the middle bits of the game. Um, so because you're getting a lot of tech for free, you don't have like a huge reliance on money mm-hmm. beyond reinforcing your bad fleets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trading is A, very useful for you because you're probably not taking planets from other players very well. That's why I think kind of a slow crawl approach to your home system is best because you want to once you take a planet in your home system you don't really want anyone to ever consider taking it from you but you're not necessarily digging into other people's pie slices at Mm -hmm. least not in the early and mid game so instead where you're getting your economy from is trading you have four commodities and you have the most tradable promissory note that promissory note should be getting in my opinion at least four trade goods People might be hesitant to pay that much for it, but, I mean, if you're giving someone a free tech, that is at least worth four trade goods. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Robofish brought up the same point. He said in his groups, they typically do this, and it tends to get about three. So I would always try to aim for higher. I mean, five would be like really the goal if you have any leverage over the person. Yeah. Because you're giving them a free tech. But regardless, that's, you know, seven to nine trade goods around that you realistically should be acquiring, unless you can get even better deals out of people. But but that's like, that's where most of your economy from is in the trade game, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the planets you control. So you need to be thinking about trade a lot. If anything, Jolnar has about as much wiggle room as the Hakan does. Now, Hakan gets to trade with anybody, but Jolnar is such a non-threat early on that if you can play that card pretty well, I would say you should be a pretty viable trade partner for people. This points to kind of another issue that isn't related to trade, but I don't like taking an early lead as Jolnar. I do not like going for victory points too heavily in the early game. Obviously, Twilight Imperium is a game about, like, there's a little bit of a race. There's a timer. You can't mm-hmm. fall too far behind. But being in the lead early as Jolnar is like the worst thing that could possibly yeah, happen that's to you. Yeah, um, Because if you get a target on your back early, you don't have your tech online enough to respond to people starting to target you. You need to be one or two points behind the leader for most of the game. And then when the late game second phase objectives start coming out, you can start really hammering at people. And it's it's similar to like an Arborex swing to me. Yeah. You, you, you play it safe for a while, and then you hit really, really hard in the late game. Essentially what you're objectives. saying, though, is like if you're Jolnar, you should try and play nice. Yes, meta-wise. play very like, nice, get people to trade with you, be very, very accommodating. Mm-hmm. Let people... T- this is, again, like you don't need to take big... You know, like branches of territory. Let people take, you know, those systems that are kind of equal distance between you and your neighbor. Let them have that and say, hey, as long as we're trading, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the planets. I just want to trade with you. Be as peaceful as you possibly can yeah. because early yeah. game, the last thing you need is a target on your back. Yeah, an aggressive early game Jolnar does not really make sense. Yeah, doesn't all. doesn't win. How do you? Let's talk promissory note. We've got. I feel like we've got a lot to say about it. I mean, I've. It's really as easy as just like. People should want it. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see that as being difficult to give out. And again, try to get three to five trade goods for it, if not yeah. more, depending on what like people know you're going to be going for. Right. Um, one thing I will say about your promissory note: if you're going for the War Sun rush, if you've decided to get rid of all the other things and you're going to do the buy two red tech round one, get War Sun round two. Do not give out your promissory note until you've acquired War Sun. Oh yeah, don't give someone War. Suns don't give for someone free. War Suns for free. Um, <laughs> Your, your promissory note is incredibly useful, but as you start getting really late game text, you kind of have to be careful with when you give it out. And you can get a little bit sneaky because when you give someone your promissory note, the next tech you take should be something that is enticing enough, but not the best thing you could have gotten. Right. Because if you give someone your promissory note and then you get light wave deflector, of course What'd they're going to take light wave. Fl- yeah. <laughs> now the the obviously the problem with ever giving out your promissory note is well they can always hold on to it until you try to get light wave deflector. But that's why I'm saying try to get these pretty medium to high level texts instead of the utmost. Give them something where it's like oh that's that's tempting. You know mm-hmm. if if you're adjacent to barony. You know, give it to them and then get Duranium Armor. Or you can, yeah, that's what I was about to say, is yeah. ask them what they want right. and maybe just and give them that. something that we're probably going to get for themselves anyway. Exactly. It just comes down to being very careful about giving them something that's going to help them crush you. Yeah. Because especially, I mean, you're giving your promissory notes primarily to your neighbors. Um, 
Are but there any... ideally, like, you should be giving your promissory notes out pretty often in the agenda phase, too. Yeah. It's not a bad idea to hold on to it, to give your promissory note to the person across the table from you. If anything, you can strike up a really fun relationship with whoever's directly across from you, because you can be feeding them tech all game. Almost the whole game, they're not going to be a problem for you, so all you're doing is giving the people on the other side of the board a problem to deal with. Mm -hmm. A little mini Jolnar on their side of the map. In the interest of Jolnar playing really nice guy early game, do you see any potential to trade out the just regular promissory notes, like not even talking the racial one? Like, I mean, you, you might as like well, but only if you can get, like, I wouldn't do it lightly. And that's mm -hmm. how I always feel about all those other promissory notes. Yeah, but it's like, inspiring. especially for Jolnar, like, again, you're trying to get your money through trade goods more than planets. Mm -hmm. So you should be getting trade goods for it. So you can offer those up to the people who have big bankrolls. You know, yeah. if you've got a Mentak or a Hakan at the table... Yeah, maybe maybe the ceasefire or the support for the throne for come out. I mean, obviously, giving out your ceasefire to a neighbor is super ideal, and that's probably the only one I would be willing to give out for. Well, you want to swap them. That's what I'm saying, though. Is is yeah, if you can do a ceasefire for ceasefire swap with a neighbor, that's like picture perfect scenario mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, that depends on how willing your neighbor is, because. If I'm neighbor to a Jolnar, I'm probably never going to take that offer because a Jolnar attacking me yeah isn't really a thing i'm worried about and me not being able to attack a jolnar could become a problem also i would say um i was just thinking about as jolnar having fleet logistics is something you're probably gonna have um, yeah so ceasefires don't really work against right. you yeah. so like because <laughs> you get to just activate the system burn the ceasefire and then move and then on do with it. your life so, so in that sense i would say Get your ceasefire out. Yeah, there. I mean, not a whole lot to, basically to the yeah the please. argument is really just like if you're giving out your ceasefire, try to make a point to get a ceasefire in return for it. Now, if you can also give out your um, racial promissory note mm -hmm. in return for a ceasefire, mm -hmm. that's also a really I mean that's mm -hmm. that's an ideal trade. Give them a free tech and you get a promise of not getting hit. That's that's pretty great. I've just, the whole time we've been doing this, I've been thinking about, like, sitting across from a Jolnar next yeah. to a Jolnar the whole time. And you were saying, like, oh, like, we should, you know, Jolnar should be, like, a nice guy. And I'm trying to think of, like, what would make me feel like, oh, this Jolnar player is being really nice, like, having a really nice guy game. And I'm thinking, since we just established that Ceasefire doesn't really, isn't really that big of a deal for yeah. you, that maybe you should, like, just... I don't know, like, if you, if I ever see a player give even one thing away yeah. for free, I always feel like, wow, okay, all right, okay. That person made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, but as Jolnar, <laughs> I think you could make it appear that you're giving something away yeah. for free when you're not. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have some weird wiggle room. Saying. Yeah, your racial promissory note and ceasefires definitely have that effect of, like, this means nothing to me, yeah, actually. Yeah, and all it does is deal. paint me in a good light. Yeah. And I think you should... Like, That's what you should be aiming That's for. what you should be thinking yeah. about. Is like trying to appear to be the nicest guy at the table yeah. without really giving up that much of anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So other things to consider in the mid-game... What's your tech path? What's your overall tech oh, path going to be? We can't even no. talk about that. <laughs> it's just... It's everything. It's play the table. Who are your opponents... I mean, dealer's choice. There's yeah. there's literally too much to say there. Um, the the biggest thing being, if you didn't already get hypermetabolism, you should get hypermetabolism as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, just like generally speaking, and then anything else, play to play to the strengths of the board. If you're going to make a push for Mechatol, like we said, ERES siphons and spatial conduit cylinder are great. Adding transit diodes into the mix, it's going to help, 
that yeah. process. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know. I'll, I would, I'd go out of my way to say if you're going for Mexico, you should get transit diamonds. Yeah, I mean, cool. it's, it's cool going to help it. a lot. But really, it comes down to, instead of talking about a tech path, what we have to just stress is, like, always get a tech. Yeah. Like, definitely, make a point to get a tech. tech. Because we said this earlier, but any round you don't take or you don't get a tech is around you just fell behind mm-hmm. because your only advantage is that you should be way ahead of everybody else in tech. and you have a pretty decent disadvantage yeah so you have a pretty big disadvantage you to so play your advantage. when if you if you get ahead quickly enough you can then strike while the iron is hot and really hurt people that's why like sprinting for war sons is a pretty great play because if you have war sons round two and can find a way to afford them you can really make an impact now the problem with racing for war sons round two is you probably you're now yeah you are no longer nice guy but now you have war sons hopefully i mean you got to build one so you need 12 resources but if you can get war sons now you can start taking planets i think we're bringing up the rush for war sons thing i think as more of a like theory crafty like we don't want to have to respond to the person we don't want to say we didn't say it but I think we are maybe doing everybody a little bit of a disservice in doing that because the more we talk about it, the more it feels like, I don't know, like, I don't want you to come away from this thinking, like, they really recommended that I go yeah, for War Sons yeah. because there's not, a, like... Here's what I'll say. There, it doesn't feel like you have enough to really get right. it done. There are games where War Sons are a great option. Mm-hmm. There are going to be those games. Um, the biggest factor I can think of is if I'm Jolnar and Hunter's my neighbor... And Hunter is I don't know what race, but it doesn't matter. If if Hunter's <laughs> if Hunter's matter. if Hunter is any race where he is also trying to play slow, if he's Arborek or Extra or something, mm-hmm. he knows he and I are doing the same thing, which means he's never gonna give me an inch. Right. He is going to constantly with every transaction I do, he's gonna be like, Why are you doing that? Aren't you worried about what Matt's gonna be able to do in the late game? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if you've got someone who's just gonna always be your vocal opponent, get War Sons and be done with him right (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean don't don't rush for war sons if you don't have the economy to support Mm -hmm. it essentially like i i just want rushing for war sons is great but only if you can back it up and i mean they are the best like when you're just looking at it at face value they are probably like i could see someone painting them as like this is the most war sun race there is absolutely yeah even more so than the embers of the the best advantage for you is the fact that you're gonna get war suns out before anybody else except for muat of course but you're gonna get war suns out before anybody else and in most cases, long before anybody else. Right, long, I mean, three rounds before anybody else mm-hmm. e- can even consider getting War Sons. So, as long as you have the economic ability to, to you know, use that, th- it, it is a huge timing window for you to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. But getting War Sons round two is a little bit scary because you never gave yourself a chance to get your economy along online. You never gave yourself a chance to look like Mr. Nice Guy. Well, and even just to have a fleet. You can't just have right. a war sign. Right. Like, <laughs> so usually it's going to be better to get some other things going and then maybe round three suddenly have war sons round See, four suddenly have war sons to me and... that seems like a lot more attractive idea yes. as a jolnar is to just be like if i need to get to war sons i could in a round right at any that's moment that's a good place to be yes. but i don't know if i don't know if this idea of rushing for it yes. really makes a whole lot of sense exactly. but you could pivot to yes war sons exactly really give yourself anytime. the opportunity to just like 
tech got played, people weren't really paying attention to what techs everybody got, and then someone looks over at your sheet and is like, wait, wait, you got War Sons? When did that happen? What is going on? Oh, no. And that's the moment that I feel like is so essential to playing against the Jolnar, is not, is feeling like, okay, I kind of know what they're doing right now, and then, like, you look over in the next round, and you're like, that just looks like a completely different sheet. Now. Yeah, you have yeah. a whole new deal. Yeah, exactly. You you when you play Jolnar, you suddenly become a threat to everybody. When you tech as Jolnar, uh, like unless someone forces you to say, like, yeah, don't talk so, about it. Don't talk about <laughs> it. Just 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 set your cards down. Don't you know? If somebody's like, oh, uh, I want to know what, yeah. who, what what Jolnar bought. Okay, sure, you have to say that. Right. But like. Don't don't advertise yeah. it. Don't don't. Hey guys, I just want everyone to know I got assault cannon and war sons. Just letting everybody know. Yeah, yeah that's not your play. Yeah. Um. So let's kind of talk. Let, let's let's finish out and let's talk about counters. This is that's, a really quick discussion. Tough. It's hard. It's, it's almost, there's not a whole lot to say. The thing we want to really say, and this is kind of like a programming note more than anything, is we're trying to get better at defining counters yeah. here on Space Cats Peace Turtles. Um. When we talk about counters, we're not just talking about races that have a way to deal with another race. Because that can be anything. I mean, anybody could get a particular tech and potentially deal with a different player. When, when we want to talk about counters, and this isn't something we always have done in the past, but when we, going forward, our goal with talking about counters is this is something that straight up and down, this is better than that. Right. The Mentech flagship is better than non-Euclidean shielding. Yeah. When when your tech lets you double down on sustained damage, but my flagship cancels Sust- all of your sustained damage, I countered you. Right. You're done. That interact, and that's the whole point of this part of yes. each episode is to note those interactions. Now we haven't because always need- held to that. But exactly. That's what we're trying yes. To do. We, we moving forward, we're gonna say what are the races that you are straight up afraid of, and you need to be bailed out of dealing with. And honestly, the whole point of this part of it is to is to remind you, like, if you're in a game and you're playing against this race, here's the specific interaction that you need to look for, yeah. that you need to do against them. And it isn't like um, you. the core of your whole racial idea is counter to their core. Right. It's not like that. It's, it's like, not like look for this interaction scissors. and either be afraid of it or be prepared to take advantage of there it. There are like, what, 17 races? Yeah. I can't believe I yes. can. <laughs> there are 17 <laughs> races. This is not a rock, paper, scissors no, type of deal. there are deal. so many interactions that yeah. are possible. So, with all that being said... Jolnar doesn't counter anybody. Yeah. Jolnar's no, base right. ability is minus one to combat, and beyond that, they tech real good. Like, <laughs> that doesn't counter a single race. You can't say that counters Sardak because Sardak doesn't start with any tech because Sardak has the option to tech. Right. Yeah, you're going to get more tech than them, but it doesn't matter. I mean, even through, like, Jolnar could give, like, with the promissory note, could whatever tech we could say here yes. could accidentally give that to Sardak. To anybody, yeah. Yeah, you're not looking to take swift advantage of anybody. Mm-hmm. You're looking to slow crawl and then suddenly turn on victory point time. Right. Um, so, who counters Jolnar? I think the first thing everyone jumps to is Necrovirus. But it's not really a counter. It's not a counter, but it is a predatory relationship that you should be afraid of. Now, a lot of people pointed out last week, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in the errata, but Necro and Jolnar do not have to have a predatory relationship. So because of that, because the idea of a predatory relationship relies on the meta, that means it's not a counter. 
because mm-hmm. the players could come to an agreement and make that no longer right, a thing. Right. So, but but it is certainly something you should be worried about. If your neighbor is a necro, you, you need to aware. find a way to deal with the fact that they're going to be trying to attack you all the time right. because you're always going to have the best tech. But there's That's nothing why, specific about necro that makes them like like that yes. they're, they're so much they don't get better to at steal your you. tech if necro got to legitimately take your tech and you no longer have the tech and they have the tech that would be a counter that would be bad it would be really but bad. so with necro something to deal with them is just like always give your promissory note nice to them. Guy them yeah yeah nice guy them so so much because Although, if you're always giving them your promissory note they don't need to attack you they don't want to just burn resources on like sending things out to attack i don't know if necro can learn technology that way it's a you gain a technology and they can gain technology necro are not allowed to research technology uh, but the promissory can. note lets you gain a technology and that uh, works outside of researching rules uh. so if you give your promissory note to a necro and you research a tech necro does get to acquire that same tech wow okay You've, so, you've seen this though. You've seen this talked about. Yes, this is oh. this is absolutely a thing. Okay, cool. So, so that being said, seriously consider giving your promissory note to Necro every single round because that might incentivize them to go point their ships in the other direction. Because if you make this a deal with them, you're not going to get hit every single round. The only other things I would say are potentially a counter are still not counters because really the biggest. The other biggest thing that gets brought up with Jolnar is like strike them early, wipe them out of the game. Anyone who could strike early, anyone who could strike early can do that. And also, like we've talked a lot about, like the board isn't gonna just let one person wipe Jolnar out and then have two home slices. Or more importantly, you as a player, if it costs you a lot to wipe a player off the board, you did not set yourself up now to be in a winning position. So doing that isn't very good. That being said. Sardak Nor is, of course, strongest in the early to mid game mm-hmm. with their combat advantage. Uh, that means they have a plus two on you. They're plus one, and your minus one right, means right. they're attacking way harder. So if Sardak decided to try to mess with you, they've got pretty good chances of, of dealing with you. So you definitely need to be wary of Sardak Nor. And the only other one I would say is Clan Asar is someone you should be worried about because mm-hmm. if I'm Clan Asar and my neighbor is Joel Nar. Well, that's the pie slice I'm going to walk through. Right, right. I mean, you, you pretty early, if Clannistar is your neighbor, you need to get PDS2 up and running, and you need to build a network because you do not want uh, SAR to just walk through your home, sis, or your right. home slice. But there's no... And, and there's that, nothing that directly counters that. Right. That's still and, not a And counter. we could still, like, we could, if we wanted to, just go on and talk about every single race that could be aggressive right. early. So, I mean, like, if you want to send us those examples, like, that's that's totally that's cool. fine, but they're not counters. Yeah, it's not, like, it, at least not... Maybe we should even rename this segment to yeah. something else. Like, because it's more about just trying to call out the things that feel so specific. Right. Um, and yeah, so I mean, you we getting attacked. We could say Yin here, right? Yin you could, could say you could say Ghost of Creus. You can yeah. say pretty much anything. The big thing is if the counter to Jolnar is getting attacked early. Well, technically, that's the counter to anybody. The only right. race you can't theoretically attack early is the Embers of Muat because you're not going to be able to take out a War Sun early right. unless right. you get some amazing action cards. But like everybody else, yeah, if you attack them early and like cutthroat them. You're gonna you're gonna cripple right. them. Of course you are. It's just that the Jolnar is the most. That's the one that it gets called out the most mm-hmm. to be aggressive to early. Yes. yes. Um, 
And it's it's not without reason, because like we said, statistically, they win all the time. So if you can just deal with them real quickly and get them out of the way, oh, they're no, probably going to have problems. Right. Yeah, you, you probably do want to, you know, not let them expand. I mean, that's why I'm saying also, like, let other players get into your pie slice a little bit, because a quickly expanding Jolnar gives them even more incentive to be like, you're doing well, you're the Jolnar, and if we let a Jolnar do well... That spells disaster for everybody. So you always need to look like you're not doing so well. Honestly, well, and I want to call out something really specific from the the holiday spectacular. Yeah. You had a bad start. And mm-hmm. if you hadn't, I would have been so uh, yeah, loud. Exactly. I, I didn't really, intentionally really... have a bad start, but right. it's kind of not a bad idea. Right. If because you get off to didn't... an amazing start, yeah. people are going to be very afraid of you. Yeah, and, and I was and playing Pecan. I was so ready to like try and meta against you. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, that never really happened. Yeah. Because... We just didn't even have any interactions. Right. Yeah, we, we just... hardly had any at all. But I, I had planned, in my heart, yes. I was like, I'm going right. to yeah. try and turn And this. that's like your whole ploy as Jolnar is people know late game you're going to be strong, so you have to look almost especially weak for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be at seven points when someone else is at nine, and then suddenly Jolnar steals the win. Don't try it. You're not the barony. Like, exactly. Don't, don't try and appear dominant nope. or aggressive. You, absolutely, you, yeah. you can never threaten anybody as Jolnar. Mm-hmm. I've tried to before. I had like a bunch of techs and tried to be a threat, but that minus one to combat still hurts. Yeah, it can hurt. Like Especially for things like invasion combat, yes. it's really bad. Yes. That, yeah. oh my god, that's... It's, it's bad. That's so, the worst thing. That's so, the thing I don't, like, literally that keeps me from playing that race. Yeah. It's like, I love infantry now for some reason. That's, <laughs> like, my, my favorite thing in TI4. Yeah. And uh, I just don't like the idea of having really bad infantry. Yeah. Um, so what makes Jolnar a superpower is just uh, that duh. you should have a lot of tech and you should crush the late game. Yeah. You should just absolutely destroy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the place, the, the way you get a victory as the Jolnar is by not launching yourself at, like I said at the start of the show, they are casually indifferent. You, you just, and, and that's, that's what your appearance is. You're not actually indifferent to winning the game. Right, you want to win. But you want to look like, oh, he doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. He's never going to quite get it. He's not there. And then you are always stumbling onto these objectives. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, the two techs have showed up, and I have that. Oh, two upgrades? Yeah, I've got that. Right. Uh, and then suddenly, right when the game starts to turn into late game mode, you put all of your money into fleets and have these incredibly super powerful texts that let you pull off crazy scenarios and you almost have like a Yasarl style victory. Mm-hmm. You should at the end of the game you should just completely pull off these huge maneuvers. In some ways my argument with Jolnar is like don't score any of your secret objectives until you have like a plan in motion to score all three of them in one round. Ooh. I mean, there's not enough action phase objectives to make that, like, a thing you can definitely do, but keep an eye out for that. And, like, again, the worst thing you can do is take an early lead. But don't if you be can, a front runner. Dark don't be a front runner. But if you can have a round where you take Imperial mm-hmm. and score a public, get a point for Mechatol, score an action round secret objective, and then score a secret and a public in the status phase, I know that's, like... Well, if anybody did that, that would be amazing. But Jolnar actually have the capabilities to pull off those kinds of maneuvers. Mm-hmm. They can they can set themselves up into the positions and be hold like holding on to enough bankroll to just like, boom, I get this tech objective, and I also have 
uh, thing blockaded, and then I get to do this, and you, like you just yeah. pull off these huge, huge late game mid, maneuvers. Mid game, late game Jolnar <coughs> is probably the most flexible race yes. in Twilight, and that's Korea. where you that flexibility is always the best thing to be because that means nobody can predict exactly what you're going right. to do. That's why something like the Barony Aletnev has such a hard time because it's like the Barony seems like trick. they yeah the Barony looks like they should be really good. I mean they're going to have these huge scary fleets. But that's the only thing they're going to have, right. and if you can find a way as a table to stop that, you've shut Barony out or of the even, victory. Or even, I mean, like, I've been, I don't like, this is an interesting tangent, but I've been at tables where we can't stop the Barony, but that's, well, we can't. Yeah, but like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't like it won them the game. No. It was just like, well, you see that fleet there? That's a scary... No one can beat yeah, that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you have to win without going to that quarter of the galaxy. Right, exactly. And, the, <laughs> and, and a lot of times you do. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jolnar, it's all about having incredibly flexible endgames where you get to just pull off pretty much anything you want. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Ooh, that's Those are it. the fishies. Hey, this is Matt from the future. Just before we close up this episode, I realized that we didn't touch on the flagship at all. We had it in our show notes, but we kind of got ahead of ourselves. JNS Hylarum is not an especially great flagship, which is why we didn't care about talking about it too much. When making a combat roll for this ship, each result of 9 or 10 before applying modifiers produces two additional hits. That's a cool ability. It rolls 2 on a 6, which with your ability is actually 2 on a 7. Um, it's just like a whatever flagship. If you need some more units, fine, throw it out there. But the, the fact that it like gets these crit hits is cool, but you're kind of relying on like random dice rolls. I don't think it's anything you need to... Um, hinge your strategy around but it's a cool ship get it if you want to that that's all bye those are the fishums yeah so we've uh we've finished our theory crafting here on uh, lectures <laughs> of, lectures in twilight <laughs> and uh i just want to let everyone know um there will be a meeting uh tomorrow in the dormitories and that you should all be working on your homework and that we have many essays coming up and <laughs> All right, oh, everyone's sorry. leaving. Bye. All right, see oh. you, Teach. Love you. Miss you. Bye. I am so old. Um, all right, well, uh, we got to move really fast and uh, do the errata really quickly because uh, I got tacos waiting for me. <laughs> so this is a a fast. Uh, I just clapped twice. I don't know why I did that. That's good for audio. Yep. Um, we Okay, so this is a taco edition of... Um, Errata. One thing I will say right off the bat of this taco edition of the Errata, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a publisher's note. Last week there were some issues with getting the uh, episode out there. So if you have not been able to listen to the Necro episode because it's not working on your feed, the only thing I can suggest is delete the episode from your device, uh, unsubscribe from the com the podcast in and whatever move on feed with your life. Oh, no, kidding. no, no. Uh, <laughs> And uh, then resubscribe to the feed, and that should completely refresh it to where you get the actually updated version of the episode. So for a lot of people, the Necro episode was playing as the Mentac episode. And uh, so if you need to fix that, delete the episode, unsubscribe, and then resubscribe, and it should work itself out. If it doesn't, uh, hit me up. I would love to know that. We're calling it Necrogate. It's been a real (laughs) rough week here at the Space Cats Peace Turtles HQ. Um, Let's go with Arata. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Arata. We got to do it fast. Um, first Arata is from Shark Week from 
uh, Reddit Twilight Imperium, and he or she says, Necro doesn't need to have a predatory relationship with the Jolmar. They can also form a powerful economic alliance using E-Res siphons. Virus has a ton of command tokens, and the Uni can convert... Oh, I like that. Uh, that's good. Uh, the Uni can convert that into trade goods at an actual profit. Virus activates a university system without moving into it to give university four trade goods. University gives back two or three of them, and both sides gets rich. Also, alternatively... University could let Necro steal right. ERS siphons, siphons, and then they could just do this back and forth for four goods each time. Right. But let me tell you this. Let me. Uh, this is a very. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, it's a very interesting idea and infuriating. Right um, for ev- for the four other players at your table. Right. If uh, I'm I'm gonna just say for the record, if I ever see a play like this, <laughs> uh, it's I'm gonna be pretty pretty furious and uh loud about it so tread carefully um i would say if you've got you know players at the table that are kind of known to call things out like this um this the meta could turn against you if you tried for something this co-beneficial i mean what is fun about this strategy is the only way they can deal with the two of you is to start attacking you which is activating your systems and giving you four trade goods honestly yeah it's best for the necro this kind of thing yeah I, i think the other thing here is depending on the game i mean necro might still benefit a lot from needing to get tech off of the university and i think this points out something it it still means that necro and universities don't necessarily have to have a like brutal predatory relationship it can be that you know jolnar happens to leave a destroyer undefended every once in a while in a space for the necro to come take advantage of they they can kind of have this wheeling and dealing if they want similar to like a mentak and a hakan player right these these races that feed off of the same systems if they choose to, can live kind of symbiotically. Yeah. Um, I only see, whenever somebody points out a symbiotic idea like this, I only see it working if uh, the two players are basically, like have a, one of them is weaker, one of them is stronger type yeah. of relationship. As the second it gets even, there's no way this relationship can continue. Yeah, because one, only one player is going to win the game. Right, so, so there is going to have to be, unless they've traded like a support for the throne right. or something like that. Something yeah. where it's literally like they have to factor in breaking their alliance right. with like victory points right um i feel like this is i feel like this type of relationship could end up breaking someone's heart yeah right <laughs> <laughs> we've had it so good we've been to well, why are you doing this yeah. to me now we were it was awesome what we were doing you know um so moving on lee gc silver or league c silver i don't know from reddit twilight imperium said is mirror computing actually that good for them since trade is a pretty dicey option for them it is is it that likely that they're going to get a steady access to trade goods and I would say, I mean, you're right. They're, they're probably not getting a ton of trade goods. It's certainly possible if a Hakan player is in the game. A lot of times Hakans are very willing to pay the Necro off to not attack them. Mm-hmm. So depending on the game, Necro can get some trade goods. And also we just highlighted a strategy with you and uh, yeah. the university where you end up getting lots of trade goods. Because you're depends. such a threatening force on the board, people are often willing to pay you protection money. But even more importantly, the point about mirror computing isn't that it's like one of the best techs for Necro to steal. It's like, well, you've only got five other players at the board. Only a few of them are going to get racial techs. Mentac is almost always going to get mirror computing. So what it really is pointing out is that like mirror computing is a very good tech and it's almost always going to hit the table. Exactly. It will be a frequent option for you yeah. if Mentac is playing. Uh, it's almost 100% guaranteed right. that you're going to have the option of taking that tech. Um, and yeah, trade is dicey for them, but I mean they get they they can 
get trade out of being threatening right. and mirror computing will we'll help that trade that. to be better and right. mirror computing is one of the only uh texts that very directly just allows you to get victory points easily so yeah. we'll be, we would have been remiss to leave it out right uh nick ack from reddit twilight imperium said i'm not sure i'm on board with the flagship as a necessity it is clearly powerful but to me the strength of the necro is how much benefit they get from small and mobile fleets you want to be in striking range of as many players as possible and it's much easier to achieve this if you build a mix of cruisers and destroyers versus one ship two things yeah one this is more true of TI-3 Necro than it is of TI-4. It's still very true of TI-4 Necro, but I think the problem is maybe we didn't express the timing of these things. It's not saying, we weren't really saying you need to rush for the Necro flagship. It's that before you get into like your pseudo endgame scenarios, that's when you absolutely have to have that flagship. But in a mid-game situation, yeah, get out, like be lashing out at people, get the text you need. It kind of... I mean, there's a lot of factors to consider here. But the number two thing is, it's really not an either-or. Like, the flagship is only eight resources with no tech prerequisites. You can get it literally at any point. So at some point... And you're... then it just tossed ground forces. So, yes. I mean, it's pretty... When we're talking about, like, a giant ball fleet, this is, like, one of the cheapest... Yeah, exactly. Out. It's eight resources for the flagship, and then three resources then for six nuts. ground forces. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, you have enough to fend off most things. Um, so, yeah, you can still do the mixes of cruisers and destroyers. We're not saying they're, like, SAR, where they have, like, one ball wandering around the map. If anything, we're saying definitely don't do that with your flagship. Your flagship should sit somewhere and defend it till the very end, whether that's mecha or your home system and honestly i still like the idea of like i mean if i had to choose between having a bunch of small mobile fleets versus having one like flagship ball on mechatol rex yeah i'd kind of choose the flagship ball yeah you know yeah if i'm getting my points for mechatol rex right and like i would i would rather force that situation where you're camped on mechatol getting points yeah and then people are attacking you and you're getting tech right. from them wanting to unseat you you know and speaking of mechatol real quick uh, this isn't really an errata but this is we've we've played a lot of games more recently than than anything else but where players take mechatol sit on it and then continually don't pick Imperial, even when they have the opportunity I'll to. It. I'll never understand that. And I would love to hear some feedback from people who don't think it's like the best idea ever to always get Imperial if you have the option to, if you are in control of Mechatorix. I feel like no other strategy trumps getting a free point. Like, yeah. I've seen people like, oh, I need to get tech because I need to go for that tech objective. But it's like, get the tech objective later. You have Mechatol Rex right now. Right. Get, get your the Mechatol, Mechatol Rex point. point. Well, the thing about the Mechatol point is, like, you can still claim a public objective, obviously. Even yeah. if you can't claim one the second you tap Imperial, right. I mean. You're going to be able to do it at the end of the you're round. You're going to be able to do something at the end of the round. Um, and even if you <laughs> don't, like you got to just get a vp yeah at least keep up with everybody else right and do whatever you wanted to do that yeah. turn you didn't have to think about like oh i'm gonna have to go like stretch out of this right you know like your your point at worst you're keeping up yeah it's it's right. pretty great if anyone has an argument against that please hit us up because we don't yeah. get it yeah uh the next one is from clay's bgg from bgg haha <laughs> <laughs> um and he wrote out or she wrote out a very very good list of things that are not considered combat. And the Why reason, is that important? Uh, because when when you destroy things that aren't in combat, you don't get tech right. from it. So um, this would have been a really good thing for us to include, but we didn't really think about it. Um, so here are things that even if you destroy something, you don't get a tech for it. In space cannon, defense or offense, no tech. So any PDS firing, period. Mm -hmm. No PDS can get you tech, essentially. Um, bombardment, no, 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 no. 
Um, when you destroy PDS or space stocks by uh, landing on planets that don't have any ground forces. No, no, no. Um, and then X-89 bacterial weapon. <laughs> yeah. And also, just to throw it out there, any, Actually, any, any action card yeah, say, yeah. or if there's any um, uh, agendas that destroy units or whatever, anything like that. You're not like getting that, tech from that. No, no. Um, that, w- that would be pretty strange. So yeah, X- X-89 actually is a good way to point out that they're like... Pretty much anything that is happening outside of combat and destroying something does not is not tech. useful for you. Now you might still want to kill the things, and that's a whole re- other reason. But like if you're trying to get tech, yeah. So, th- so, so those are things so, yeah. that are not combat. So um, we also have a really great comment from Robofish from BGG. Um, he is pointing out essentially that the virus flagship um, PDS can kind of shred it essentially. Because the ground forces are not ships during the movement phase when the ground for like when when the flagship were to move to an attack, and that's when PDS fire. And that's when PDS fire happens. Also, I mean, if we're talking like extra, uh, they they could just have their PDS network set up, move that flagship in a space adjacent, activate it, well, and destroy. And and more importantly, even than that is, this is why a you don't really want to build PDS as virus, but more importantly, this is why your flagship isn't an offensive ship it's a because you're not jumping around the map but i mean that's why mechatol rex is a little bit scary because comp- people can surround mechatol rex usually in mm-hmm. some pds but more importantly like if you're if your flagship is in your home system you don't really have to worry about pds unless the x comes to party because right. now they're bringing three shots with mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and so that's i mean you gotta deal with that so yeah you have to be worried about the x a little bit i wouldn't say it's like a hard counter um, it could be for your but mechatol it could be rex scary wishes. yeah for me- yeah. for your mechatol rex play it could be could be a scary thing uh, and you definitely if people are starting to try to build up by mechatol and they're placing pds there all they have to do is like activate mechatol rex and fire at it so you should probably start throwing launching parties at it to start wiping out those pds you, you want to limit the amount of pds that get next to mechatol rex if I, that's the strategy you're going for i will say they're at least enough of a counter to where i wish we had brought them up in the episode yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that yeah um sure. and then we kind of just have like a nebulous thing we want to talk about yeah. a little bit there were a lot of people um that called us out for rules pertaining to the flagship yeah and we just want to reiterate that um everything we described is the rules as we understand them and we have you know different you know we have lots of posts on bgg that are people submitting rules queries to dane beltrami and him responding with these types of answers so we're going on pretty good authority that everything we said was correct now that being said if an faq eventually comes out or you know they release like official errata and it negates any of our points then yeah of course we will redact what we said and we'll Mm -hmm. we'll kind of come up with a new strategy but everything we described from the winu flagship to you know just how the ground forces don't apply to capacity or fleet supply or anything like that all these things those are the rules as we understand them and that's kind of how we move going forward yeah i i will say i have the flagship i have their flagship marked as the most likely thing to be probably change in an expansion or even just like in like right now there seem to be a lot of questions about it and the we we gave you essentially the current answers to those questions um but like i would not be surprised if if, some things change yeah some things change if it gets balanced out in a different way yeah but currently this is how we understand it um and it makes it it is a flag i mean honestly it makes sense for the necro because the necro are forced to be so offensive and aggressive so they gave them one tool 
to add to their defense. Because right. without it, Necro has nothing defensive right. at their side. So it kind of makes sense. I get it, yeah. So that's where we will leave it. We will uh, we'll leave you with the normal shout-outs. Please follow us on Twitter, at SpaceCatsPod. Give us a like on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. You can find our post on the subreddit for Twilight Imperium every week. We have a post there. There's a link in there to the Board Game Geek Guild. Uh, the Board Game Geek Guild is where we post our calendar for upcoming episodes. So if you want to get a jump on any... Thing we're going to be talking about you can you can you know tell us what you think about a first round strategy before we do the episode uh please send us your bad board game ideas um make sure that they are not your like special idea that you've been working on your yeah. entire life Hunter, give me give me an example of what we want just give me a, a quick can i just use one of the ones yes. that we use in yeah. the episode um one of my favorites thus far we got was Candyland legacy yes Candyland legacy so and that's all we got we didn't get any description of what Candyland right. legacy was they just said the board game, Candyland Legacy. Yeah. And so that's the kind of stuff we want to have at our disposal, these games where it's just like, what does that even mean? Right. What does it mean to have Candyland Legacy? Leave it to Land us Legacy? to interpret it, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the hashtag for that is MRBR. MRBR. So please yeah. tweet at us. Please. Hashtag MRBR. We also, want, we, we need more stories yes. for Next this Imperium Life. Next week. Next week is this Imperium Life. We need Ooh, are we stories. Ready? <laughs> Man, we I mean we've got a lot. We've got a backlog from last time. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot, but we want more. We want all, as many amazing stories as we can get. So again, send us your favorite moments of all Twilight Imperium history. And let's even like spread that out to like what maybe it's not an in-game moment. Just give us the memories of, you know, now that more people have their hands on Twilight Imperium 4. Give me your memories of when you received it, what it was like to unbox it. I don't care. Give me anything. Every joyous experience you've ever had with Twilight Imperium. Or maybe it's not joyous. Maybe the most frustrating moment you've ever had playing Twilight Imperium. Send it our way. Ooh, also, uh, here's something personal. Um, in early March, uh, I will be traveling again doing stand-up. And I will be in San Francisco and Los Angeles the first two weeks of March. I will get you specific dates and locations, and it would still make my life if uh, some Space Cats fans were to come yeah. out and see me do stand-up. That'd be awesome. That'd be dope. I got tacos that I gotta go eat. Yep. Taco <laughs> time. We'll see you later. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.